Are you downloading libraries for JavaScript or Python or pulling Docker images? Well, this episode is for you. This is DevSecOps Talks with me, Matthias, Andre, and Julian, and our guest today, Jacob. And we will discuss supply chain attacks. Supply chain attack is coming up more and more. And now, Jacob, we have you as guest here. Can you tell me more about supply chains attacks and what they are, and maybe is there some way to to protect against them? Sure. Well, let's start with what the supply chain is, and we're talking software supply chains, right? So yeah, we are. Um, we're talking it's about always comes up when when uh, Andre used to always interrupt me and said, "No, is this for software or something?" Yeah, it's for it's for software. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But it's basically everything that you don't write. So everything that you pull in externally and that yeah. you use to run your thing either in production, if you're like running a SaaS service or hosting something, or then everything that you pull in and put into a bundle in an artifact that you like deliver so people can pull your thing down and run it themselves. Yeah. Um, so that's we, the supply chain. Yeah. So we're talking about all those NPM packages you, you get installed. We're talking about the Docker images that you are using from. Uh, yeah, and all the thing included in the Docker images that you pull down as well. Yeah, uh, maybe all the GitHub actions that you use in the process too. I mean, if they add stuff to the final binary. Um, yeah. yeah, and those or if they're files involved in the process. on the shared file system. Yeah. Those shared, those files on the shared file system that someone yeah. put there five years ago, and you have no idea where they came from. Yeah, that's more bash script. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what it, but the name supply chain means that you're attack, you don't attack the, uh, the software that is running. You're attacking the way it's being delivered or yeah, well, before I, it gets I, delivered to production, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really good distinction to make because if we talk about like a, a generic security attack, like exploiting vulnerabilities, then, then you're exploiting, you might have pulled in the right thing, yeah, uh, but that right thing happens to have vulnerabilities in it, and somebody's exploiting those vulnerabilities, and that's yeah. not a supply chain attack. I mean, that's just like attacking. That's just an attack. Yeah, like <laughs> exploiting vulnerabilities. So what we're talking about is attacking the chain, like the the things that you bring in. So getting involved in that process and changing the things that you pull in. So you're not actually pulling in what you intended to pull in. Yeah, so uh, example log for yeah. I mean, we couldn't do much about it. We have all the latest stuff, but it was exploit so that was attack on the, the service that was running so that was not a supply chain attack right exactly yeah yeah do you know any, any supply chain attacks that happen well, well i think one of my favorites because it's related to hashicorp was the was the code cov um the code cov supply chain attack um yeah. i can't remember exactly like how how it worked now i didn't i didn't read up about it before this um but i know that it got inside the ci environment um, reading environment variables and sending those environment variables to somewhere where you don't want them to go. And <laughs> if you work a lot in CI, you, you, yeah, there's a lot of secrets in CI systems. So um, that's why I think it was an interesting attack because it didn't change the the end like result, but it was something involved in the process of building the software and releasing the software that was attacked. So um, yeah. 
so Anna, the, yeah, I think I think the the outcome was like one of the most serious outcomes was that the the signing keys from HashiCorp were leaked. Yeah, definitely. So basically, yes. anybody now could like release uh, binaries like a new vault version and yeah. <laughs> and be like, yeah, it's signed by HashiCorp. So you know, this is the real thing. Just start using it, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, which is quite scary. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So so how so how can you do a supply chain attack? I mean, are there some uh, if you talk about attacking like a, a lib repository like npm or pip or whatever, how, how would you do uh, supply? There are, are some techniques, right, that you can do to get in your own bad code into some other software, right? I guess the question is, what are the vectors? Vectors? Right. The vectors attack vectors. Attack. Yeah. attack vectors. Yeah. This is what people say. You know, the people who work in security. So yeah, yeah so, so we're asking this, for, like, if I was an attacker, how would I attack a supply chain? Is that yeah, the question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how would you attack it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Julian, what do you have? Uh, there are uh, one that I found is uh, quite interesting. I saw that recently is people build a project with a useful library that just do, you know, like an NPM package. And in that library, there is actually a dependency that is nefarious. So yeah. everybody starts using the project, thinking that, oh, it's a, it's a good library, it's documented, you know, there's star, GitHub stars, because it's yeah. a, a, a parameter now. And um, basically, this infected so many CI systems. And it's, so it's not only the direct dependency, it's the dependency of the dependency. Uh, and it, this was very much social engineering attack, because it, it was like a real project. It was really doing the thing it was claiming to do. And so, you know, there was, there's so many examples of that where people, you know, the ownership of a repo change and suddenly you, you don't know who is maintaining that uh, yeah. and things get a little bit out of hand. And it's, it's very tempting when there is a lot of money at stake to, yeah. uh, you know, selling data or, or anything. So it, it's kind of a, it, that's one. Uh, the attack vector, I would say the first one is the developers uh, that pull random stuff from the internet. I mean, if you find a, a USB key on the parking lot, you will probably not put it into your computer. But doing NPM install, that's fine. You know, it's uh, so yeah. they, they, I think they, they are addressing the problem now. And it's about time. I have to say, like, uh, it, it, it was quite scary to see. There is no, there was no link between the GitHub code and the npm package. Uh, so it basically, you, it, if you build a library, you you don't have to publish it to npm. Somebody else can publish it for you. Yeah. And and, and there is no, you know, question of ownership or anything. So so there, there is a little bit of, you know, tracking the ownership of things and yeah. proving the origins. Like you have to have some kind of lineage. Like this code is composed of this component. It they are all, here are their origin, and those those components have dependency. Here are their origin. So you you track down basically everything that you are using, and it, it comes to a point where, you, for instance, some country might be at war, and so the 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 state this decided like, hey, if we use it open source, we cannot take. Uh, open source project where uh, developers are from that country. Like it, it's getting to that point. 
there is a brilliant talk by Kelsey Hightower. I will uh, reference it, showing about the software supply chain attack. It's uh, it's uh, brilliant to see. I happen to know one country at war, that kind of denying being at war, but it is at war. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there was basically with a, with an IT circles in that country, people were basically saying we don't update any longer because you don't know what you get. Besides, people seen the a possible vector of attack and. In the early days of war, there were a couple of libraries infected. There was some protest where distributed, like some of them still are out there, etc. For models. But but if you if you want to attack a supply chain, I mean, as I said, Julian, there's no bound between. You can just make a, a bad package. I mean, you can make a, you can make a, a library that's worked perfectly fine, but it's malicious, right? So it does something bad also so you trick people into using your really good package but then you do something bad in the background but there are also other ways right to try to trick people to download or start using your um, your malicious code right yeah there, there is a there's plenty of op of option like you you can go from the developer you can infect yeah. the developer laptop you can infect the one of the CI/CD pipelines. You can infect uh, the machine of the CI/CD pipeline. Yeah. You can change the. Let's say you have a Kubernetes manifest and you suddenly add a container in there running as a sidecar. You you, are, you have so many uh, options, and that's why the the software supply chain means you you can list and audit whatever whatever is is going on at any given stage. From yeah. the, the the code in, on the laptop of developers to its running in production, and there is at every stage. I think the Salsa framework is uh, outlining some kind of a you know criteria to say like which level do you need to be, and, and it's not that well. I mean, it's not simple, but it's not that hard to reach three of the four level. Uh, the, the four level is basically you know like super ad advanced. But uh, they, they, there is a little bit of tooling to help you with that. Uh, the, the problem with those toolings is they they kind of all have their own format. Uh, so if the, the hope of having one single format for everything is just you, you know it's like the XKCD, right? Oh, we have sixteen competing language. We're gonna make a, a, a one to rule them all, and then you have seventeen competing yeah. standards. Uh, so that's uh, that's the situation we're in now. Yeah, I think the other challenge with that as well, though, is people want to like different people want to see different things. Um, yeah, and and like uh, tools aren't really made. I, I think they try to be sometimes. They you know like for engineers, for you know sysadmins, and and the marketing pitch might be really nice, but then you spin it up and you're like, ah, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> as, as a, as a, as a developer, all I kind of like want to see is, you know, a red marker somewhere where I go normally to say that, you know, there's something I need to worry about. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go to this extra dashboard and go through all the things running in production. I mean, that's, um, yeah. Can I completely take you out of the topic for a second? Yeah, sure. You know, there are tools that would do what you're, typical CI server would do 
but that too late. I do only that part, but I do it in my own UI, like Spacely. I'm gonna apply Terraform for you. Yeah. I do it in all fancy pos possible ways. But that's taken completely out of context. I have my CI pipeline, right? I have like a Docker builds, I have unit tests, I have this and that, and Docker is only part of that. And I don't wanna have a tool like for this, tool for that. And the same here, you don't really wanna leave your pipeline or whatever place you go to check for the status of your yeah, software yeah. Head, heading to the heading to the production. Yeah. You wanna have it all in one place. Ideally just blocking build if like if there is a problem, just stop it, let me fix it. Yeah. I'm also a big yeah. fan about all these different dashboards. Every security tool out there today has their own dashboard. And I really don't like it. I have a dashboard. Let me let me just get your that data into what I have, right? Yeah. But there's 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 an interesting thing about um, sorry we're 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 not yeah we're 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 going deeper into this but I think yeah. I think it's a it's a good flow um, because the like running a, a scanning tool in CI like Sneak or you know White Source or whatever um, to give you the list of third party dependencies um, give you licenses and the security vulnerabilities of those is 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 nice like everybody should be using something and there's open source tools now as well like Trivi and. Um, the Aqua security guys are doing really nice, nice stuff. We should talk about that more probably in this episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, r running the scan in CI is nice. Uh, everybody should be doing it, but it's a snapshot in time. Um, yeah. And especially if you're building with like fairly recent dependencies, the, the vulnerabilities haven't been discovered yet and haven't, or they might have been discovered and not reported yet um, for those. And especially working, having worked a bit with um, embedded software where sometimes you you release a package and you're responsible for it for you know 15 to 30 years. Um, scanning at build time is a very, very, very small part of 15 to 30 years time. Yeah. Um, and we want to know if there's like new vulnerabilities in those dependencies being found during that time. I think it's still relevant for you know web web technologies. It, it, you might not be updating every single service you work on every single you know day or hours or whatever. It might go you know a month or something, maybe more. It's very likely that in that time a vulnerability might be found um, yeah. for but something you're using. So yeah, it's... as you say, it's a snapshot of time, and you you need to know that scanners also software they've been updated, they're being smarter, they're being better. And if if you see them as a API or a dependency or something, every time they release something, you need to test your application again to see if it's relevant, right? So. Every time the scanner updates or something happens, they do it all the time. They adding new threats. You need to scan them as well. So, uh, of course, scan in uh, in build to verify that you don't let anything out that you know about. But also check later, right? And another thing is it's my edge case, but still I noticed that, for instance, when you're using Docker scanning tools, that would scan installed packages for vulnerabilities, it assumes that you bring the binaries via the packet manager. But if you just take the old version of JQ and drop it in there in a bin directory, it will tell nothing. So that's another thing that you need to consider. You need to yeah. have a way of bringing software into your builds that you could validate later on and that you could reproduce 
Yeah. And that will not hide from the scanner. So you also it's not enough to employ one of those magic scanning tools, but you yeah. also need to understand what it's scanning, how it's doing that, and then see if it will actually cover everything you're doing. Yeah, I I think that's the, the good point uh, we, we need to bring in a software supply chain is that there are code that we produce and there are code that we use. Uh, and, and knowing the difference is actually already very valuable. Uh, let's say the try to scan the you know docker image the, the official library of docker image or you know the nginx and things like that or they tell you oh there is this critical vulnerability will that stop people from using it probably not because they just want something that works and so it becomes the question of whose responsibility responsibility it is to actually provide a secure base and depending on the requirements of people it varies greatly because security is is very much tied up to the type of business you're in i would say you know most of us are not running a nuclear power plant so it's kind of okay you know if let's say that the company we're working for will go out of business or something like that, the world will probably keep on spinning but if it's you know hospitals you know police, uh, or every, every basic uh, function of the infrastructure, like telephone. If the network goes down and nobody can call the emergency, that's also <laughs> some kind of, uh, you, you know, it, it has an impact on society. And the, the thing that we forget so often is that everything is, is kind of linked. So the, the same way it's the, the attacker can gain access to something completely unrelated or not very critical, the the privilege escalation is actually a path forward. Let's say that somebody steal developer credentials. Uh, it's not so hard to, even if the developer doesn't have access to production, well, it's just a matter of time before they gain. So th this is uh, something that I'm, I'm really struggling on, is defining whose responsibility it is to, to fix stuff. Yeah. Damn, this episode becomes like one of those uh, talks I rant on before. Like, when they first have a talk and you scare people to death, like, oh, this is so, it's a big issue. You're gonna, you have to take care of the supply chain or you get hacked. And now we come to the part in the episode, like, how can I protect myself, right? So, so this episode comes up to one of those uh, security conference talk, uh, right? Uh, yeah, so, but uh, I mean, I can I can give recommendation very quickly. Like, first, yeah. sign your Git commit. Like, I know PGP is is not the most uh, obvious choice, but uh, yeah. it, we have to deal with that. Second is uh, use distroless as a base image, you know, or some some kind of secure or minimal Docker base image. And I would say the third is vendor your dependency so that you you can actually code scan them or or it, like inspect them. Then there is all the thing about CI/CD, but th th those are the three things I would say would at least give you some kind of reassurance. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say pin your dependencies, but Julian mentioned vendor dependencies. So, but is yeah. that really, kind of the same is thing? really hard? How, do, do you guys do that all the time? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. 
Well, can you can yes. you can you can you can you define the difference? Because uh, I'm I'm coming I'm doing a lot of Go at the moment as well, and there's the vendor directory where people actually dump the the entire packages there, so you don't yeah. even need to get things externally. That, yes. I mean, whereas for me, pinning dependencies is just explicitly defining the yeah like a package lock, for example. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a, there's a difference. Vendoring is copying the actual code into your repository, so you have a copy of the code. Okay. And you do not retrieve it every time you build. Pinning is specifying exact version or range of the versions you want to get when you run it, when you run your tool. Like in my case, I, I do less coding. I do a lot of Terraform, and I do make sure to pin like provider versions because new provider versions comes up, they have bugs, and then suddenly. You have issues that you need to resolve that you wouldn't have if you would do upgrade manually. Of course, it cost it comes with a cost of uh, going in and upgrading stuff, but at the same time, you choose when you do it instead of being interrupted with some fires in production. But but is this really is this really good, guys? If I if I build like a bag pa bad package called libmysql for npm and you install that, you can pin it as much as you like. You're never gonna get out of my bad package, right? And if you copy the code and have it locally, that would be awesome because then I can just remove the npm image and you have it running. Yeah, but that's, yeah. those are two different problems. The pinning and vendoring helps you prevent surprises and make uh, conscious choices about what you're bringing in. And then second part of the decision is scanning and checking what you are bringing in, right? Yeah. So next time when you bring a new version or when you decide to incorporate a new version of something else into your project, you first check what is that, try to establish some kind of ownership credentials of the okay. person so or organization who owns that. Okay, so yeah. It's not enough just to pin it, you need to check it as well, that this is really going. But, but pinning is just a good, like, forget about supply chain attack, just pin your dependencies, it will save your back many times. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite curious about this, because if I work with developers and they're not pinning dependencies, I'd I'd throw my hands up in the air, like, <laughs> like, like, are you a professional or, uh, or <laughs> so I mean, that, 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 that really should be uh, a practice. I'm curious about the vendoring dependencies, because, because it's not something that I do. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm I know others do. Um, but I haven't really worked on things that are so like, I'm, I, I don't develop, you know, the, the real applications. I'm usually sat in some kind of platform team. So maybe, maybe Julian can, can so enlighten the, me as to what's the real value add there for. Benjamin. Yeah. So, so b b security aside, you know, I'm not talking about security. I'm just talking about practicality. Uh, one of the best thing I can say is that if GitHub is down, you can still build you know, your, your thing. I, I know it sounds silly, but it, I mean, it saved me more than once uh, to have that. It happens. Second yeah. thing is that, yeah, it, it's not it's not like every day, but it's something that uh, that, that happens. Second thing is, it's it makes me curious about what I'm using. Like sometimes 
you know, it, it, it sounds weird, but I don't read everything, every little line of code that I pull in. But there are some things that if you see that it's coming from certain dependency, you're like, why is that here? Why do I need a, net pack, uh, a network call or something that I'm not even doing anything with that? And then you realize from which package it is. And so this is what I mean, like uh, some, and also it's a great way to, to read other people's code. I learned so much by reading code written by other people. So, so as a learning experience, it's very interesting if you're curious to see how it's done to just open a folder on the code and, and just go there. So that's that's for the practicality, okay? That's just, you know, no, no security involved. For the security is that it's so much more convenient uh, to to be able to rely on, you know, you, you have everything in one place. You know exactly the bill is gonna be the same, the code is gonna be the same. And the problem with most of the pinning dependency is that it they don't use Git shell. You know, it is not a real immutable thing. They can change some, some. You know, you might you might get a little difference somewhere. And this that the the little difference there that makes me worry. And it's not like I have a huge, you know, scary story to say. It's just it makes me nervous. Yeah, but that that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think. Um, it's yeah, it's trust. <laughs> How much do you trust the outside world? Yeah. And even exactly. if you use like your own package manager or you publish stuff to 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 like AWS or Google or have something like Artifactory locally, I mean now you you're dependent on your own dependencies that might, you might not have coded, but you kind of like control the repository and and this sort of stuff that gives you a bit more trust. But yeah, I think definitely pulling stuff externally and by tags. I mean tags can be overridden. Um, exactly. It's quite, it's quite easy, so um, yeah, I yeah I see it. Um, I think important thing is when you pull it in, prevent the desire to change it. <laughs> like you know, some small thing because like next time you pull the new version, you're gonna override your stuff, or you will have to merge it in, and it becomes a lot of hassle. So like you pull it in, but don't touch it. Instead, go do a fork, send a pull request, change it in this way. Hmm. But you guys and, always and, use like uh, a, a local registry like Nexus or Artifactory and just get your external dependencies to that one and then down to you or you fetch them from a public uh, repos. Well, the most secure way is really to have a proxy that is least cache the dependency. Yeah. It's a good practice. It will reduce your network cost. It's uh, like it, it, there is many benefits at having your own proxy for CI/CD. I, I highly recommend to do that, but uh, when it comes to where the code lives, uh, th that's really it's per language. You, there is no one rule them all way to do that. And I feel that so, some language are better than others at dealing with that problem. So, it, I mean, that's the reason I I, I, I do go. You know, it's like all the other language there. It's a misery to work with when it comes to dependency. I, I'm not kidding. It's just pain. Uh, I, I got spoiled by Go. Yeah. That's a solution called Artifactory. That's the time when we bash Artifactory. Julian said there's no there's no uh, one thing to rule them all when it comes to package management and and uh, yeah I, I uh, 
yeah, I, there's a lot of people who might call BS on that because there is. It's called Artifactory, uh, Melbourne. <laughs> on, on, on Exos, on Exos, yeah. There are, there are things. Yeah, there are. Uh, there yeah, are. so, so the, you know, I, I, I saw those tools and I was like, this also is, it's painful to manage, you yeah. know. Anything you want, uh, I, I mean, come on, it, a registry is basically a web server over a file system. You know, it's like the, there is nothing, uh, it's not rocket science. But the problem is there is always those kind of uh, security feature. And so what, ha like in, in co concrete, in reality, what I saw out, out there is that there is one login password that everybody shared and everybody has access to it. And, you know, you don't, you don't have any trace of what gets in. Uh, so, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. It's a nice but, web uh, server. <laughs> yeah, but I think ten plus years of, of Java also has a has an effect on software. <laughs> um, so uh, I think I think if they were to, to redo it nowadays, it, it would be it would be much more much more streamlined. But yeah, it's yeah. I mean, um, we had a few practical scenarios recently as well with with X Ray, which is the like the security scanning add on to Artifactory. So Artifactory, you put your binaries in your packages, whatever. It's a local npm cache, local Docker um, registry. Uh, and then X-Ray can can scan those for you. Uh, and well, one of the ones was when Log4j happened, and it was like, okay, we want to see where Log4j is uh, used. Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's funny because you have all the data and we have, you know, we have nice, like, systems for telling us exactly what's running in production as well. But, uh, like, realizing that, that, that there's that gap in traceability between what we've built and what's been pulled in. We have all that. We know what we're running. But computing that, I mean, I probably could have written a Go or Python script or something to, like, pull it together. But, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, that, that but, was funny. Um, but the, the other thing, thing yeah. sorry. The, yeah. the, the thing with the, our, the log4j thing is that the most companies, they had those things running and they haven't been redeployed in like months or years. Yeah. So they had to implement a scanner that will go everywhere and scan for, for that particular version. The second thing they had to do is to prevent that version to be pulled in. And so what happened if you don't have a proxy that to, to block those things is it's kind of hard to, to do, like uh, to, to prevent developer to, to, to fetch the, the infected <laughs> dependency. Uh, it, it's and it's not only your dependency; it's the dependency of your dependency. So how do you resolve that? Like suddenly everything breaks. And I'm glad that it happened in a way because it 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 woke people up about the, those problems. But but that was going to be the second practical use case we had, which was there was an npm package. Uh, it's quite often an npm package uh, that was, I think, uh, so it was taken over. Um, and a developer wrote in our Slack channel, like, hey, this package is vulnerable. I found it in our yeah. factory. I didn't check where it's used, but, you know, it's there. So it must have been used at some point. Can you please block this? And um, I'm not sure if there is a way to do this with X-Ray. The only thing I found is that you can block dependencies if they have reported vulnerabilities in them. And there's no way mm -hmm. that I could find to manually report a vulnerability. So I couldn't block it. I could find the package mm. and we have all these lovely tools, but I couldn't block it from being pulled or built with anymore. So, but that's um, nice. Then you know that you have the package in your system and then go to bed, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> knowing that you have this export, you couldn't get out, but you know, yeah, so. I'll, I'll, I'll delete it from the cache. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. 
that's the thing. It's like, what what do you do when you are infected? That's the, the what, my biggest complaint about those tools is that it's more like, yeah, they tell you the problem, but they, they really, like, I haven't felt like they help you to solve it, you know? I'm just curious from the practical perspective of the way blocking it. So I would assume that the place where you used, you used it, it was mandatory to use artifactory proxy to pull stuff in. So you couldn't pull in from the internet. And if that checkbox is checked, then I think you can just go to that repository, disable proxying and uh, drop the binary from artifactory and that will stop resolving it. That would be the one, at least I would try to go on that directory. And this is why it's really important to have like a way to actually redeploy everything on demand. You know, it's like who is in charge of redeploying? And in this is come of the shared responsibility. You know, like actually now nowadays the pipeline, the way we build software is a project on its own. That's why we have you know DevOps team or whatever they want to call it, infrastructure team or you know those, those kind of things because it's like who can decide when to redeploy and then make a, a security model based on that, like what happened when somebody is not supposed to redeploy but can. So you have to have audit and then you have to review those audit logs. And so it, it, it becomes such a management now. I realized that we, uh, at the beginning of the episode, we talked about supply chain attacks, not just the general supply chain. And we've spent a lot of time talking about the general supply chain now, because I mean, now we're talking about, oh, it's really good. <laughs> but should we, should we, should, should we talk about uh, things you can do to prevent the supply chain attack? Um, well, we, we did, we, we started talking about the vendoring and pinning dependencies, and then we yeah. went on a long story about vulnerabilities, uh, <laughs> which is cool. Um, yeah, CI, CI machine, CI machine yeah. are, are not like, you know, they, they those machines that never turn, tear down. So if one day they are infected, they infected, you know, forever. And so how do you deal with, uh, be, the trade-off between caching and ephem ephemeral, uh, CI machine. So, so this is like also cost management and th those kind of things. And so this is why now it's a complete system. In, in a company to have to how we build software. So you, you can rename like software supply chain to you know whatever you want, but in the end it, it's mainly your CSED pipeline and the way you deploy. And, and just because you know the tools are very are much more common than we thought, you know, it's Kubernetes, it's those, <clears throat> those kind of things, we 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 can actually provide you know some recommendation for most of it. But again it really depends on the company that how, how how they deploy software, if they use GitOps or not, if they, you know, they, they, there is so many deployment strategy and building strategy that it's really hard to to guarantee. Yeah, but g going back to, to Jacob, what, what he asked, like one of the things to get your bad code is like the same as you do like phishing emails, right? You're trying to trick people to install your bad package, right? And can you really prevent that? Can humans always is the weak link here? So it can be tricked to install it, but then you can add these scanners and things like, well, that can check the incoming packets and verify, but is there some other way, Jacob? 
Yeah, well, one of the attacks that we that we didn't talk about yet was um, if you have a private uh, registry for something yeah. like you know have Artifactory or Nexus or what I'm going to talk about Harbor, which is a local um, Docker registry. Yeah. Um, then uh, you can um, you can name the the package according to your like registry. So it actually, if it doesn't find it locally, it'll start going to the public place. Yeah. Um, which already actually falls short with 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 Harbor because with Harbor you, you don't have the same thing that you do with Artifactory like virtual repositories. It's either a local one or it's a cached one from the internet. You can't combine the two in Harbor. But anyway, well, one of the things that we I, I, I set up recently was um, was signing Docker images using Cosign, um, which was actually fairly nice. We have like CI running in AWS using some CI tool that's not relevant. Uh, we have a KMS key, so um, the the we have a, a role that can be assumed, and we can get the private key from the from the key management service. Use that to sign the 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 Docker image yeah. um, using Cosign and, and and push that. I I can't remember exactly the logistics of it, but what Cosign does is it it also pushes another OCI, uh, the Open Container. Oh. Uh, interface initiative whatever the i intelligence yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, artifact and um tools like harbor have been written so that they re recognize this as like okay this is actually a signature for this other artifact so i won't show it as a separate artifact even though it is and, and then you yeah. can see that it's it's been signed um then you can set up a simple block to say don't yeah. allow you to pull things that aren't signed so now if you're pulling your kubernetes artifacts exclusively from harbor you could make sure that they've been signed, and what that really guarantees is, is it's you know it's a it's a stamp of approval that we built this in our environment. It's come from our CI system. It's been signed with our key, so it's it should be good. Like it's an extra level of of trust but, in there. Yeah, in and the this process. is one of the things that I'm a little bit. I mean, when we talk about supply chain, I mean we already talked about npm. It's a, maybe we can assume there's a lot of bad packages on npm, but it's a packet manager. There are other package managers that have been around for a long time. I'm talking about the, the Linux package manager. And they are using sign keys to get trust and all that. And I haven't heard that many supply chain attack on Linux packages, but it's more coming up now MPM, where it's more like the wild, wild west. It was the same with, with Dr. Repo before the official ones, but then scanners come out. I mean, the cloud provider, they added scanners default on every images. Docker Hub is take that over as well. So I see that there are ways to prevent supply chain attack from packages. It won't help if you misspell the name, but if somebody, at least they have some guarantee that you pull packages, they're being going through some kind of process when they look at the code, they scan it, and something has been checked before you can download it. But I don't know why it's yep. not there on NPM and PIP. Uh, so, so very easily, it's really hard to sign, to, to use this uh, public key infrastructure for people who don't understand. Uh, yeah. Even though, like you, you know what? I don't think I ever typed a PGP command uh, in my life where I didn't have to look up stuff. Uh, yeah. it's, it's fairly, fairly complicated, the naming, the, the variable, the process, and especially because it's security, it never really tells you when something is wrong. It just say yes, no, and that's it. Uh, and to debug that stuff is, is, is fairly, fairly complicated. So this is why. They, they, and also security, it's really hard to add later 
you know if it's not if it's not from the the ground up it's extremely difficult and error prone to add it later so that that's been, that's the reason i see the, those things yeah it doesn't run like okay but 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 here's the thing i mean jacob you talked about x-ray right it, it scans the dependency and check that there are no bad names and they check maybe the domains reduce and other stuff right but why do you run it on your server and Julian on his server and Andre in his other factory? You just run it on the MP, MPM like library and be done with it, right? Why is everybody running it? Just run it up there in, in the source. Yeah, and then we can trust it, yeah, right? They can yeah. sign it like. Yeah, but it's, who, it's, who, yeah. who incur the cost? It's about the cost now. Who, who yeah, pays and, for that? And, and it's interesting as well, because I think that I think this is security space is, is changing a, a, a little bit. Um, I mean, when, when you pay for tools like Sneak or, the, you know, that's the main one, but White Source yeah. and Fossa and whatever, that they, I mean, they maintain their own security vulnerability database. They aggregate yeah. vulnerabilities from not just CVE. Uh, and that's another thing. Most people are like, yeah, CVE, all the vulnerabilities in the world. And you're like, yeah. no, 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 there, there, are, there are vulnerabilities outside of CVE. Um, because CVE is very formal and lengthy, yeah. and you know, yeah. Um, so I mean, they used to be about the quality of data. That's why you pay for these tools is to get a good quality like data when it comes to security vulnerabilities. And if you use the open source tools, they would just be like, you know, there wouldn't be a, the central database that actually security experts look at and 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 work with. It would be you know, pull in CVEs, pull in GitHub, um, like. Uh, what are they called, like advisories or whatever, yeah. look in the Debian mailing list and just, you know, like, here you go, here's some stuff that you now have to deal with. Um, there is a project, uh, uh, osv.dev, is it the open source vulnerability database? It's, I think it's an in initiative by Google. Um, and they, uh, they provide an API, an open API, so you can, like, tell them which packages you're using, specific versions, and they also give you information, like, when the vulnerabilities have been patched and fixed. Um, I think it's still like young, a young project. Um, but I think like once once this stuff starts to mature and once the the data is available like in a better way <laughs> for everybody, then 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 it will start to change it. But right now it's like if if X-ray were to uh, like spend all their like time and effort building this vulnerability database and then giving it to everybody for free, then yeah. then like be a good deed for the world but uh it doesn't make business sense so i think when that when the data is available it'll it'll change so, so a last question for you compare s bomb what are they and what are they good for yeah good question <laughs> uh, so we, we had a bill of materials and because we're software we added an s at the beginning and it's the software bill of materials yeah. um I, yeah, I mean the relationship with the with the supply chain is is the software bill of materials is everything that you pull in. Um, at, le at least this is my take on it. I know people say that yeah, you got to look in your Docker images and find out the things you have there too. But ninety nine point nine percent of what I've seen in the industry is people uh, generating um, uh, an S bomb. There's there's standards for it like SPDX, the Software Package Data Exchange. So it's a is it XML format defining like it's a format defining in the like the SPDX way? These are the things that are in my package that I'm yeah. I'm you know delivering. So that's basically what the what the S bomb is. And so if you use scanners like Sneak and White Source and whatever other ones there are, 
Uh, I keep coming back to those two, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you use those, I mean, they're, they're, they're giving you like a, a bill of materials yeah. in a way, just in usually in their own little format. Uh, and that's why things like SPDX exist, because now if you talk SPDX, then you can share that information around and there's a common standard for how we how we share this information. Uh, cool. yeah. So I think we're ending the, or running out of time here. Any last ideas or tips how you can protect yourself against supply chain attack andre do you have any last thing or is this just pinning and version that is in your head oh well at least protect yourself from spraying attack right so if you if you have someone going after you it's hard to protect yeah. but do the basic stuff of of uh, pinning your dependencies checking what you're bringing in scanning that employ some scanner some of them, uh, Jakob mentioned, yeah. run that in CI and maybe figure out something for production to discover what you have running there since you deployed a year ago and there could be the new vulnerability discovered. So as usual, with security, you have to discover, enumerate and mitigate, yeah. you know, the, the regular three. Julian, what do you, what do you have thoughts right now? I think he's muted. No. Yeah, we can we can just let him talk to himself. Sorry. Yeah. For for me, it's more a call to security people that we we need more people to teach uh, those security primitive and help developer you know put in place best practice and we need better tooling and better debugging experience. And also awareness. I, I would say it's mainly come from. It, it has to be done from somewhere, right? And I find that the the security community has done a great deal to actually improve and simplify everything to to become at least you, you know usable without reading an RFC or something like that. So I, I think we're on the right track for that. I, I really hope it continues. Yeah, Jacob. Sorry. Yeah, I'd like to piggyback then on on Julian's thing because I, I we talked about these like DevOps teams or platform teams. You know, the people who usually maintain CI and help with some infrastructure stuff. I I feel like which is you know how I spend most of my time. I feel like we have a big role to play in this because we can act like a bridge between the developers and the security teams. I mean, we are involved in the building process, we are involved in the deployment process, we're involved in the monitoring process. So maybe we should kind of like step up and 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 make it happen uh, a bit more and I, I've, I've been trying to but yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm now on a podcast and I have a voice so I'm gonna say it here uh, <laughs> no but uh, yeah that, that that'd be nice that'd be nice because yeah there is such a divide between like developers and security people um, yeah it is, it is. but I think I think uh, yeah otherwise practically the one thing that I that I I see and would like to change or like it to change um, is the, you know, we run a scanner in our CI, let's check a box, we're secure. Um, because I, I feel like that's how a lot of people are working and especially running things in production, like monitoring production for things. There's a project called Starboard by Aqua Security, which um, is also the people who make Trivi and that, that um, monitors and scans your containers in Kubernetes. Um, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, like a free, well, free 
uh, in qu quotes, <laughs> it's open source. You still got to run it and maintain it and pay for that. But yeah, um, I mean, that's a simple way of, of, of at least doing something um, without yeah. having to go and talk to these big security vendors. But that's maybe another problem as well is if you want to go and get a security vendor involved in this, they are like, you know, big, big companies usually. Yeah. Um, and it's a, you know, it comes with a price. I think for me, practical, I will, I won't call it jump into the F-bomb, but I will jump in getting to log what kind of dependencies uh, we are using when we build things and just store them in some uh, data storage like Elastic or some log file. Because uh, uh, I really want to know if some, if some bad package happens, we see that some package being exploited or something like that, I want to be able to search and find if we are using it or not. I did see that when we have like log for yeah, other like, are we using this package? It's like, oh, oh yeah, we're using, are we using Java? I don't know, because we have so many different packages. It was hard to understand, right? So uh, it will add to my pipeline to just log all packages that have been built in and all Docker images that we're pulling and just log them so I can search and, and, and find if something uh, something fishy is in my system yeah it's uh, always it's always npm right i mean go more tidy as your friend otherwise <laughs> well now now it's coming to it's coming to python as well like look at those uh, machine learning models they they pull a gigabyte from the internet and you know uh, building a model usually involves like c c plus plus rust whatever and so so you have a, a flu of uh, cross-language dependency that becomes uh, it, it won't last long before you know this has become also an attack vector so yeah, yeah. It, it, now, now i think i will stop this podcast yeah. and then julian can go on with his rant about python and pip it will go on for some time here but i will spare everybody else from it. so thanks for listening and uh, check out the news notes for the, for the episode because we will add a lot of links there where you can find good resources <laughs> okay yeah. cheers bye 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 you have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias Andre and Julian for more podcast and notes go to the webpage devsecops.fm thanks for tuning in